good to be in God's house today and thankful to be here with you at, at Ripley and uh, talk to Brother Lewis this morning and uh, last night a little bit and seems like the meeting was going very well there and uh, they were very blessed, thankful to hear that as well and uh, ask that you would turn to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, and we will read verses 1 through 16, and then we'll try to focus on uh, verses 13 through 16. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let's go to the Lord one more time uh, before we get into this passage this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that you have preserved it for us. We thank you that we can trust uh, the truth of your word. Uh, that we have a standard that we can hold up in this world of truth, uh, that we can shine our light to others based on what you've said in your word. Uh, We ask now that you would bless us as we uh, look at these verses this morning, that you would uh, just open our hearts to be able to understand the message and what you would have for us to hear and that our lives may be changed by it as we leave this place. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the title of the message is A Christian's Impact on the Culture. A Christian's Impact on the Culture. Now we're, I said we're going to focus in on verses 13 through 16. And this is where Jesus uh, talks about really two things. You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Those two things. So we're going to kind of unpack what that means. And we also need to understand that this is not a coincidence that this comes at the end of what we know as the Beatitudes. Uh, That's not a coincidence. And we're going to kind of unpack that in in more of the application section uh, of this message. And I'll go ahead and warn you, there's going to be a long intro, so bear with me. But I think it would help us before we really dig in to unpack what it means to be the salt of the earth 
and the light of the world. So those who are believers in Jesus Christ have been changed by the Holy Spirit and they are changed in ways then that, that show up in the ways that we hear in those preceding verses. Uh, Christ, in the context here, just so we understand, Christ said these words to a small group of people, very small group. Uh, it wasn't a huge crowd. It wasn't, um, it wasn't broadcast on CNN or Fox News. It was a very small group of people. And he said to this very small, insignificant group of people, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That's a pretty big statement, especially when saying to a very small, insignificant group of people. So to Ripley Church this morning, you may think, well, you know, we're not one of the larger churches in Ripley. Uh, there's, there's bigger churches. Uh, we might think as primitive Baptists, well, you know, we don't, we don't get a lot of influence into the culture. We may be smaller than other denominations. We may not have as much of a voice, we think. But Christ still says to us, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. That's his message for us today. So this begs the question then, how do we perceive our impact on the culture and the world around us? So kind of what spurred this message for me was, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but in the news, they came out with a new study. Seems like they do that all the time, right? And so they came out with a new study and I'm, I'm not sure the validity of it. I haven't looked in the, you know, how they did it and all that kind of stuff. It's still kind of, it's just tough to swallow even if you don't really dig into the details because the main headline of that study says that Christianity will be a minority religion in the United States by 2045. By 2045, Christians will now be in the minority as far as religion. Now, here's the interesting part. Even, even more so than that, it won't be Islam that takes the place. It won't be Judaism that takes the place. It won't be Buddhism that takes the place of Christianity as the majority. What do you think the majority religion will be by 2045, according to this study? Atheism. Atheism. There will be more people in the United States that don't believe in any religion than there will be Christians or any other religion. That is sobering to think about. Um, you know, uh, we might look around at our, our families and our workplaces and our churches and our communities and think, well, you know, what kind of impact are we having? Um, and although we're trying, we might feel discouraged into thinking that our impact is insignificant. And maybe, in other words, we might have this spirit of inevitability. Well, that's just the way the culture is going. There's nothing we can do about it. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world, and my people will impact the culture uh, in which they live. So it should then shock us to hear those words as a follower of Jesus that we are these things. We are to have this kind of impact on the world around us. And if we are not, then that's a problem. So one of the reasons this passage is difficult for us today is that the distinction that should exist between the church and the world has diminished to a great extent. Now, I think this is good news for our churches because I think that's less with our churches than it is a lot of other Christian churches. But I think we all have to admit that just in general, that that distinction between the world and the church is being blurred more and more and more as we move forward. And that's not a good thing because if there's not a distinction, 
then how are we going to have an impact? If we're just like the world, and if we say, hey, come to our church, but our church is just like the world, it's not, you're not going to see anything different. We're all the same. We're, we're just like you. Just, just come on in and, and you're not going to notice any different. Then we're not going to have much of an impact. So I do believe in some churches that's worse than, worse than others. And I think that there is, um, some validity for us to say that we have tried to do that, to be different than the world. And we've not allowed a lot of things to come into our churches that are worldly. I, I believe that's very true. However, I think on the other side of that, we as the Primitive Baptist must also say, how much of an impact are we having in the culture? How much voice are we having in our communities? How much people are we seeing come in from our communities that were not born and raised um, among our people? So those are both valid, valid uh, points and valid questions. Now, really, when you get down to it, there's, there's two really big options here of the way we could look at this. Option number one would be this. The world is out there. It exists out there. And therefore, the problem is out there. And that means that Christians should retreat completely from the world and should kind of just come together and, and stay to ourselves and try not to have anything to do with the world at all. We should just be, you know, a compound on a mountain somewhere. We ought to build some walls and, and just go up there and, and make sure that we don't let anybody in. And we just stay to ourselves. And, and that's, that's the way we can stay the way God intended us to stay. That would be one option. Option number two is that the church needs to become more like the culture in order to be able to reach the culture. This one is very popular today. Okay, this one, you're going to see a lot of this in some of these big mega churches. In other words, we need to adopt some of the things that we see in the culture so that people will be comfortable then to come to us. It's basically what's called the seeker-sensitive movement uh, among Christian churches. So we must structure our services at church and we must dress in certain ways and we must placate uh, the world as much as we can and limit the starkness of the contrast between the world and the church to make people more comfortable so that then they'll come into the church and then that's how we can have our impact. So I hope you don't believe either one of those options because that's not what Jesus said, right? So those are, I I told you there's really two options and you're thinking, which one's he going to pick? Because neither one of those is right. Um, That's intentional. Uh, because there's a balance between those two things, and that's really the difficulty, right? Um, and I'm not, and I, spoiler alert, I don't have all the answers for you this morning on that balance, on, on what is proper, on being in the world but not of the world. Those are difficult decisions, and we're going we're gonna to get to that. We're going to unpack that a little bit more. So I hope you didn't pick either one of those options as I was speaking, because literally the words of Jesus Christ about how His people are to interact with the world or what we're going to look at this morning, and it's not either option. Now, I think we can all look at this, though, as we continue in this introduction and say that this is really important stuff, isn't it? How we as Christians impact the culture and the world around us is really important stuff. This is something that we as as Christians and as believers really ought to look into and understand and and, and have proper teaching on and, and proper emphasis in our lives on as we move forward through our life. So now to teach this lesson to the disciples, Jesus used two examples, two examples of things that they would have immediately understood. They, they, it wasn't something that was a mystery to them or a riddle. They would have immediately understood what he was talking about. So we're going to unpack those examples because 
Um, the reason why it's going to take a little work is because they might not be as clear to you today as they were to them in their time. So two things uh, to remember as we un- unpack this passage is, Jesus said, you, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. But to really understand that lesson fully, we must take ourselves back in time, out of this millennium, back to when Jesus said that. Sometimes you've got to be careful when you're reading the Bible about this. So what is salt uh, to you today? So in the first century, you see, there were no refrigerators. Okay? Shocker. For you young people, Jesus didn't have a refrigerator. All right? Uh, Jesus didn't have light switches. Didn't have light bulbs. There wasn't electricity. Light was a different thing. It meant different things. Salt meant different things to them than it does to us today. So for us to fully understand the true and full meaning of these statements in the first century, we must understand that Jesus said to this group, you're salt and light, and they knew what he meant, but it meant something different to them than it does to us today. Now, secondly, we must remember the biblical concept context. If we really want to truly understand what it means to be salt and light in the world and have a real impact on the world, then we must not separate these three verses, 13 through 16, from all the context around it. And if we don't keep them connected, then we'll try to be salt and light in a way that is not how Jesus intended. So we have to keep it connected. There is a way for us to have an impact on the culture, and there's a way for us not to do that. And so we have to keep it connected. Uh, We will instead constantly then complain about how fallen the world is and how bad the world is and we won't have any impact on it. So we must then keep it connected to the preceding verses. And like I said, we'll get into that uh, even more so in uh, the next the next section. So as we talk about salt and light, you need to understand that the apostles lived in a different age than we did and we must then keep it connected to uh, the preceding verses. So let's let's dive in here with our first point. Our first point is simply the words of Jesus from the text, nothing creative. Ye are the salt of the earth. So Jesus is teaching them about having impact on the culture and on the world. And the first thing he tells them is, you are the salt of the earth. I'm going to go ahead and disclaimer right here too. If I jump out of the King James English, I'm sorry. I'll say you are the salt of the earth instead of ye sometimes. Um, not mis- Not meaning to misquote, same thing. You are the salt of the earth. Something, you know, to us, what is salt? So to me, salt is what I love to put all over my food at almost every meal, even though it's probably not a good thing. So salt is seasoning to me. That's that's what it is to me. It's seasoning. Most of us use salt as seasoning. So is the message of Christ, we are the seasoning of the world. Sadly, for a lot of Christians, they really do operate in that way today. So in order to fill their churches or in order to have, you know, more popularity, we kind of say to the world, look, you can have what you already have, but then we'll just sprinkle some Jesus on it and kind of make it okay. And then everybody's happy. We'll make it better. We're not going to do anything that's drastically different, but we'll just sprinkle some salt on it. And it'll, it'll go down easier. You know, when I was younger and I had to eat my vegetables and, you know, mom would say, look, you got to eat that. You got to eat what's on your plate or you can't leave the table. If you put enough salt on something, you can pretty much get it down. I mean, it'll, it'll change the taste enough that you, you can get it down. 
Well, that's not Jesus' intention here. Let's pour salt on it and, and change the flavor, but not really change the substance and make it okay. That's not at all what the meaning is. Instead of, instead of bringing people to Jesus and, and, and making them devalue what they now value and replace it with something that's infinitely better, this would be kind of just masking over it. Just, it's okay. You can keep everything you got and you can still come into the kingdom. That's not Jesus' message. So we can't think of this as the salt on our tables, but rather, as we said earlier, there was no refrigeration back in these days. So if they wanted to keep something for a long period of time, they had to preserve it. They had to rub salt in it. So they get a piece of meat and they would, you know, dry it and then they rub salt in it and then that would extend the shelf life of that piece of meat. Um, and so they could keep it for a longer period of time. So then let's apply that practically. So where you find people living outside of the church, outside of the kingdom in ways that, um, that the creator has said are wrong, what you find there is decay. We live in a fallen world, a ruined world. Uh, what sin has brought into the world is decay. This world is not getting better and better and better and better, right? <laughs> Apart from the grace of God and the Spirit of God in us, it, it is, there is decay. There is ruin. There is, uh, it, it's not good. So what we do by rubbing salt into that meat is we delay the decay of it. That it becomes, it preserves it. It makes it, uh, stay in a good state for longer. It makes the meat not ruin and decay. So when Christ says to the believer, you are the salt of the earth that I'm rubbing into the culture to restrain the sin and decay and the ruin and the rot, boy, that takes on different meaning, doesn't it? And it doesn't mean in every case then that it doesn't ruin, but it sure does have an impact. So this allows, this also shows us that the world, when it's true to its nature, will rot and decay and ruin morally. So if the, if the world is left without any influence by Christians, it's going to continue to rot and decay and ruin morally. Look at our culture. As the church has withdrawn from our society and from our culture and not had as much impact, what has happened? Uh, I'll, I'll just say it this way. If you got in a time machine and went back in the United States to 1950 and then came back to 2022, would you see a difference? Just in the, I'm not talking about in our churches. I'm talking about in the United States as a whole, in the morale, level of morality, in, you know, even some simple things. And I hate to harp on this, but back then they knew what the definition of a man and a woman was. Do you know that? If you went back in not to 1950 and said, what is a woman and what is a man? Somebody would have given you a definition and they wouldn't have been afraid of it. Uh, there's just tons of these issues where, where our culture is really just, I mean, it is getting really bad. It, it's, it's, the meat has gone rancid. It, it's, it's not good. And that, at some point, we have to look in the mirror and say, what kind of impact are we having as Christians? Are we being salt and light in the world? So this salt has a preserving effect. Now, it also had another use in these days, which is really interesting. Another use of salt in the ancient world was to ruin the land of enemies. So this is what they would do. The general would go in, he would conquer the land, 
And then he would tell his soldiers to go out in their fields and sow salt. You know what that does? It makes the land infertile. They couldn't grow anything. So it would, it would really just kind of make the land useless. So if we act as salt in the world, it should have a preventative effect on the growth of false ideas and untruths and sin and, and all of those things in the world as well. Colossians 4, 6, let's turn there. Colossians 4, 6, just get a couple of references here about what it means to be salt. Colossians 4, verse 6 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Our speech seasoned with salt. Now for us to understand what that means, and you said, hey, wait a minute, you just said it's not seasoning. So how is that? how does that work? Well, let's go to Ephesians. It's going to really kind of explain a little better about uh, what this passage means. So over in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearer. So these are sister passages. They're, they're kind of saying the same thing. One says, let your speech be seasoned with salt. The other one says, let no corrupt, corruption, ruin, decay. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. In other words, that builds up, that preserves. So our speech ought to be something that preserves and builds up, not tears down and causes decay and, and, and ruin and all of those things. So that, that shows you what, what the, the meaning of the salt there in Colossians 4, 6 is. So when you're at work in the break room or you're riding in the car with your friends or you're sitting at lunch table at school or you're, you know, around the people who you're around and you talk negatively about someone, you run somebody down, you, you know, tell them, tell them everything you don't like about that person. And or or if somebody in that this is even the better example, if somebody else is doing that and you're just sitting there going along with it and you're just, you know, you're right in the middle of the conversation. What would change, though, if you were to speak up and change that conversation and turn it and say, you know, I really don't want to be a part of that. That's something that builds up, not tears down. This is a really simple example. Of course, there's tons of things, tons of ways we could talk about that. But that is an example of being salt. It is. It is having an impact on in a very microcosm of that conversation. Even that conversation, you could impact that conversation in a big way without even rebuking the other people. Just by changing the conversation and saying something positive. Turning it to something that builds up rather than tears down. Now, with each one of these, there's also a warning of the passage. So let's go back to Matthew and see what it says here about the warnings of that go along with this passage. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Ye are the salt of the earth. Now here comes the warning. But if the salt had lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. So if the salt has lost its saltiness or its preserving power, it is good for nothing more than to be cast out onto a walking path and walked on. If, if it's not going to have an impact, if it doesn't have um, the ability to preserve and the ability to do the things that it was made to do, he says, really like sand. 
It's not going to do any good. Might as well not rub it in me. It's not going to have any impact. So you just throw it out and walk on it um, because it's, it's no more than the dirt. Uh, if you blend in with all the world around you, like we said earlier, you know, we had those two options. We said, hey, you can either say we've got to be completely separate from the world and we've got to retreat into ourselves and we've got to just be about what we're doing here and not have anything to do with the world. Or the other option you remember was we've got to kind of make ourselves look like the world a little bit and we've got to kind of placate some things and, and we've got to become a little bit like the world so that we can have an influence. That's really a lot about what this is talking about because if the salt is just like everything out there, it's not going to have an impact. It's not going to, it's not going to do anything. So then he says it's good just to be cast out and walked on. So if we blend in with the world around us, we will lose our savor. We'll be worthless to the world. We will not have a preserving influence and therefore we will lose our impact on those around us. If the world doesn't see the church as having a preserving impact, then we will not be able to speak into the culture and change their ideas. It's really that simple. That's what Jesus is saying here. If the church is how it should be, and if we as believers are as we should be, and, and believe me, stepping all over my toes, I don't know about you, but if I'm doing the job that I'm supposed to do as a Christian and as a believer, if I'm living in the way that is described in those previous verses, if I'm a peacemaker and I'm humble and all of, and I'm seeking after righteousness and all the things that it says, if I'm living in that way, then I should have a preserving impact on the culture that's around me. And I will. That's what Jesus says. He doesn't say you should. He says, if you do that, you will. This will happen. So um, amazing to really think about and kind of sobering to think about when we look at the culture in which we live. Now, secondly, Jesus says that, go back to our passage there in verse 14. So you are salt. Ye are the salt of the earth. Secondly, ye are the light of the world. Ye are the light of the world. So we're going to kind of remind ourselves about what we said earlier. There was no electricity. There were no light bulbs. Now they had light. They just didn't have it as easily as we do. You know, we can be pretty lazy. We can walk in a room, flip on a light switch, instant light. For them, they had to have some kind of lamp. They had to light it. It wasn't as good a light. Um, so it, it came from, from different sources, but they did have light. But just imagine yourself in the ancient world. If you were to go into downtown Ripley, the metropolis of Ripley, in the middle of the night at 1 a.m. in the morning, and you didn't have any source of light with you, would you get lost? No. Because that place is lit up like crazy. they got street lights. All the buildings have lights on it. There's light everywhere. Now, on the other hand, if you go out in the middle of Hatchie Bottom somewhere over here, and you don't have a source of light and you're not anywhere near a town or somebody's house and it's a cloudy night and it's a new moon and the stars are blocked out, I'm going to tell you something, it gets pretty dark. That's, that's, that's a scary kind of darkness. Well, in the ancient world, that's the way they lived. There was a lot of dark. I mean, if it was dark, it was dark. They didn't have all the electricity and the street lights and all the things that we have. It was utterly dark. So in the darkness then, it's easy to get lost and lose all sense of direction. I think that's a really important kind of thought here with what we're talking about. So having darkness creates a lot of problems, but one of the big ones is it's hard to find your way. If you can't see any light, 
It'd be really hard to know which direction you're headed. You have no bearings, right? This is how we would say. We would say you have no bearings. So in the darkness, it's very easy to get lost and lose your sense of direction. Proverbs chapter 4 kind of points that out. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more into the perfect day. The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. So the mental picture here is really this person who is stumbling around in the darkness and and can't see the obstacles that are in their way. So kind of the way that I thought about this is, like I said, you imagine yourself out in the middle of the woods. It's a cloudy night. There's no light from the moon or the stars. You don't have a source of light. You're out in the middle of the woods and it's completely and utterly dark. I mean, you're going to be bumping into trees. You're going to be tripping over stuff on the ground. I mean, you might walk into a ditch, right? You don't know. If it's complete and utter darkness, you're really going to look like, you know, like you don't know what you're doing. You're going to be stumbling all over the place, running into stuff. He says, that's the way it is with the wicked. And with, with us, we have the light. We have direction. We have purpose. We're, we have, something that gives us direction and light to where we're going. So it's hard to determine then all the things that are around you. And you can't determine the true nature of things as well. So it's not just about direction. It also makes it hard to determine the true nature of things. So I'll give you this scenario to kind of point that out. Let's say you're in a tent, same woods that we were in just a minute ago, complete, utter darkness. You have no source of light and you're in a tent and something starts rustling around in the woods around you. I mean, I think everybody in here would say, "Uh uh-oh, you know, I want to know what that is. (laughs) What is that? If it's a raccoon, good news. That's great. What if it's a brown bear? You know, what what if it's something big? I, I don't know because I can't see it. I don't know its true nature. I know something's there, but I really don't know the true nature of it. So how well does that describe our culture today? They don't know the true nature of something. There's not light shed on it. And and when light is shed on it, then we know, oh my goodness, that's a dangerous thing. That's something I need to avoid. I need I need to get away from. You know, I need to need to run or you know something. I, I've got to get away. Or it's something that's that's good. It's okay. I, I'm, it's not harmful. But we as Christians are that light because we have the Word of God, and the Word of God is what determines the true nature of all things. So we have that light, and so then. That's part of our impact on the world is that we then show the true nature of things. So partly it's because of the lack of direction. Partly it doesn't show the true nature of things. So when the world is acting according to its own nature, it is stumbling around in the darkness and cannot discern the true nature of things around itself. What is right? What is wrong? Calling good evil and evil good. I mean, does that sound familiar in our day? Is there anything that's evil being called good in our day? Is there anything vice versa the other way around? Absolutely. There's a lot of that. And the reason why is because they are not basing those decisions on the light, but on the darkness. So whose then responsibility is it to show the light? Jesus says it is our responsibility as believers. We are to be salt and we are to be light in the world. We're to show that difference by the way that we live and the things that we say and do, how we live our lives shining to show the right way to the right things, to those things which Christ says are good and right and true. So what we really are, we're not, so we say we want to be a light in the world. Well, 
it's not that that's not true, but I think it can explain it a little better if we say we're actually mirrors is more what it's like. We're just a big mirror because what we're reflecting is not our own light. It's not that we have all the wisdom and we make all the right decisions and we do all the right things because according to our natures, before we were changed by the Holy Spirit, what were we? What does Paul say? He says, don't forget, you were in darkness as well. You were you were stumbling around in the darkness as well until you were changed. So it's not that we have our own light, our own wisdom, our own things to share. What we do is we reflect the light of Christ to the world. Like I said, just nothing really but big mirrors walking around reflecting the light of Christ. Our words, our attitudes, our conduct, the way we respond to adversity, all of those things should reflect the light of Christ to those around us. So two examples that Jesus uses here. There's two things that he says about light. Um, We had the warning in the first one that kind of unpacked that. So in this one, when Jesus talks about the light, he says, ye are the light of the world. And then he has two examples that he uses. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. So let's go back to our example from a minute ago. So you're you're in the dark, you know, you're out in the middle of nowhere and and you can't see anything and you're stumbling around, you're trying to feel. And then all of a sudden you see light on the horizon. Well, at that moment, all of a sudden you have a direction. Right. You know, Okay, I'm heading that way. I'm heading towards that light. That's where I'm going. And this light, it's not down in a cavern. It's not in the the low place. It's on a hill. It's where you can really see it. It's kind of set up above everything else around it so that it can be seen. Well, that's what he means by a city on a hill. It should be the way that we impact the world and the culture around us. So we don't try to hide it. Did you know that that what we believe and, and the gospel itself and, and what we believe as Christians is not a big secret you know, that we just kind of try to keep to ourselves? We should be wanting everyone to see the beauty of Jesus Christ and who He is and what He's accomplished for His people. That should be something that we want to uh, make known to the world. So we're a city that's set on a hill, not in a ravine um, or something like that. So that kind of shows you the directional part of, He says, you know, If you're a city on a hill, people will see that light and it will impact. It will impact the world. And and I'm going to go ahead and say this, and we may come back to it a little bit later. When I say we will impact the world, I do not mean that by that, that um, the whole world will be saved or that everyone will come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Did you know that we can have a different impact than that? Um, Our impact can be even in a moral way. It can be in a way that God preserves uh, our culture so so that we're not persecuted. So there's... Uh, the gospel has good impact, good positive impact, even on those that are not his children. Um, so it can be that kind of an impact as well. So then secondly, here comes the warning. So he uses the example of a city on a hill. Secondly, he says, uh, "Let your no, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. So, so this is really the warning part of this passage. Men... Even regular men are smart enough that we don't light a candle and then put it under a basket. Like, what would be the point in that? That makes no sense. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to light this candle so it can give light, but then I'm going to cover it up where another light gets out. That doesn't make any sense at all. So instead, what we do is we put that, that candle in a candlestick. We, we elevate it. We put it up so that all can have the influence of that light 
around. So if the Christian doesn't shine light, but instead is hidden under a bushel, how dark would the culture be? And, and we're not going to have any impact on those that are around us if we put that light under a bushel. That means that the culture would be really dark and, and continue to be so. So we look around today and see, you know, where is the light? Where is the darkness? Is the light impacting the darkness? And really, when I think about that, and there's another passage we could turn to that talks about this same concept about how would you put a light under a bushel? I believe it's the same way with God. If God lights a candle, he doesn't put it under a bushel. He's, he's wiser than men. And he says, even men know better than that. They know that not to light a candle and put it under a bushel. I believe if God lights the candle, there's going to be an impact. That light's going to shine to some extent in the life of those in whom that light has been given. So the Christian doesn't light the candle and then put it under a bushel. So we hear both of these things. We've unpacked the two basic parts of this. So what does that mean for you and I? How do we then try to live out in a real way what it means to impact our culture through being salt and being light. So the first thing we want to do, this is point number three. So we've had uh, salt, then we had light. Now we're going to go to application. So point number three is how do we apply this in our life? What, what then is the connection that we need to make between these passages and what Christ has said before it? So he says, you are the salt of the earth insofar as the realities of what I've taught you are being exhibited in your life. So if you go back to the Beatitudes and you look, poor in spirit, mourner, meek, hungering for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, peaceful in persecution. Just that list. If those things are evident in your life, you're having an impact on the culture around you. People will see that and it'll make a difference. And it will impact the culture around. Now, once again, I don't think I have to say this in this, in this group today. We know that if, if, if you accomplish or accomplishing those things in your life, that is because of the work of the Holy Spirit in you, right? This is not something that I'm telling you that, man, if you'll pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and do these things, then you'll have an impact on the culture. What I am telling you is that the impact of the Holy Spirit in your life should be producing these things And to the greater extent that it does produce these things, then the greater the impact you have on the culture. Just an example. The the very last one that I said uh, from the preceding verses is peaceful in persecution. If people see you being persecuted and you don't respond, I'm telling you, the reason I use this one as an example, it's difficult for me. (laughs) This is what I'm just telling you my heart. This one's hard for me. You know, somebody comes at you and they just, you know, talk about you horribly and they make up rumors and they say all kinds of things or or they, you know, come at you in a different way. What's our nature? I'll tell you what my nature is. My nature is to respond and to come back at them and try to harm them and try to have an answer for what they said. You know how the little junior high kids in junior high, you know, it's always about the cut down and then the response and you got to burn the other guy. And, you know, and it, it just kind of keeps escalating until usually it becomes a real argument. I mean, I'm talking as a school administrator. I've seen it a hundred thousand times. That's what happens. Well, that's not the Christian's response. The Christian's response is to be peaceful in persecution, to have a peace about us that, that is noticeable to those around us. Another one would be hungering for righteousness. If our lives, if people see that even though we fail, 
because Christians do fail in that, right? We're not, we don't have complete righteousness. We still sin. We still have the old man that we're contending with. But if they see that we're hungering for righteousness in our life, that would impact the culture around us. So really what this can be summed up in is this. When our responses to the circumstances around us are spirit-empowered responses, then we will be salt and light in the world. So our spirit-empowered response to the world around us then is this salt and light that impacts the culture and the world around us. Now, secondly, our, our second kind of application we are not allowed, we, we cannot just say we're not going to be salt and light. Jesus didn't leave that as an option. He didn't say you should be salt and you should be light in the world. It's not going to, it's not a necessity, but it'd probably be a good thing if you did this. That's not what Jesus said. And the language is very clear. If you go back and look at it, this is something that Jesus says you cannot say that you're a Christian and not be salt and light. You can't do that. You cannot separate the two things. So we're not allowed to do that. We're not allowed to separate it. And I think the very practical example of that is if we expect the government or the school system or Hollywood or social media to impact the culture in the proper way, we're going to be sadly disappointed. We cannot abdicate this responsibility that Christ has said that for our culture to be impacted positively, guess who's going to be that positive influence? It's going to be the true believers. It's going to be the believers in Jesus Christ that are the salt and the light of the world. We're not allowed to. We must be salt and light. So really, when you kind of unpack that a little more, and I didn't go into this earlier, but I'll take the time to do it here. Salt is really more the negative and light is really more the positive. That's another way you can look at this passage. So salt makes it hard to do the bad things and light points the right way to do the good things. That's an oversimplification, but take it for what it is. Salt is kind of the negative and light is the positive. Uh, Some people are naturally inclined to be more confrontational while others are more naturally inclined to be the gentle light in the corner that shows the way to the door. I'm not that person. Okay? I'm not that person. I'm just, I'm just confessing here to everybody today. Those of you who know me real well, you know that already. I'm more the, confrontation doesn't bother me. If you came up to me after this message and said, Brother Andy, I didn't believe what you said about this. I'm not going to get angry. I'm going to say, what? What is it? Let's talk about it. Let's do it right now. Let's get the Bible out. I mean, it's not going to bother me. But now some people you do that, they, man, they're going to get offended. It's just, oh my goodness, that's confrontation. I got to run from that. I'm, I'm not a confrontational person. So there's different kinds of people. But Christ says, in one way or another, you're going to be salt and light. It might be in the the negative way. It might be in the positive way. Both of those things are good, by the way. When I say negative, it doesn't mean it's bad. It's just the way it's, it's carried out. So we must remember then that uh, the believer possesses a supernatural quality that can rise above our natural inclinations. Now that's, that's a mouthful. Let me re-say that. We must remember that the believer, if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, the only reason you're a believer is because you've been changed by the Holy Spirit. If not, you wouldn't be a believer. So the believer possesses a supernatural quality that can rise above our natural inclinations. So I'll ask, maybe you've heard of this. I'm not going to say it right. Enneagrams, anybody heard of that? So this stuff that you 
Like, I'm a number four, and that tells me what my personality is. If you've heard of this, you'll understand what I'm saying. If you haven't, you're going to be lost, and I'm sorry. But so there's this number system, and you take this test, and then it tells you, like, you're a number two, which means you're a person who, I say I don't know them, so this is going to be wrong, but like you're bold and you're a leader and you're this and that and you're, you're all about black and white or you're a five and that means that you're completely the opposite of that or whatever. So they have all these descriptions of your personality. The problem with that is, and, and this is kind of a joke, but it's kind of not, is that, you know, we can use that as an excuse. So, well, I'm a number four, so that means I'm a bold person, so you just need to get over it because I'm going to tell you what I think and, it's okay because I'm a number four. No, it's not. <laughs> you know, you don't get to just talk however you want because you're a number four. Our natural inclinations should be impacted and overcome even by this supernatural change that's happened in our life. And when that happens and we begin to act according to that, instead of our natural inclinations, salt and light. Salt and light will take place to those around us. So we, it has to superintend over those natural inclinations. So for me, I told you, you know, I'm, I'm, I very well know that I'm kind of that bolder person that doesn't mind speaking my mind. Well, that's not okay in every circumstance. It's not okay. Sometimes it's, it's better, you know, discretion is the better part of valor sometimes, right? Sometimes you need to just hold it in and, 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 you know, you don't want to offend people. So we have to then turn to the spirit. We have to, um, cultivate that spiritual impact in our life to overcome those natural inclinations that would then cause us not to be salt and light in the world. Now, the third impact, uh, the third application of this is that this really is the heart of evangelism. Now, there's, there's more to evangelism than what we're talking about today, but this is the very heart of evangelism. So when we think about evangelism, probably to you, and to me too as well. But when we just say that word, the first thing that pops in our mind is that, okay, a couple of ministers went over to India and they met with people there and they did evangelism. Well, that's true. That's, that's part of what evangelism is. It could also be that we um, you know, go out into our community and we share the gospel with those in our own community. Yes, that's evangelism. But you know that it's also evangelism when you live according to the Spirit, according to what Jesus said in this passage, and people see that, you don't have to say a word, you're just living your life and doing it, and people see that and say there's something different about that person. That is the heart of what evangelism is. And so this is an evangelistic passage when he says you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. So inviting people to church is good. Sharing the Gospels with others is very good. But the heart of real evangelism is a person that is so deeply happy in Christ and so deeply uh, in love with Jesus Christ that their life has been impacted that, by that to the point that they react to the world around them differently. That Now that, that's a challenge to everyone in this room, to me especially. So in other words, I'm so deeply impacted by what I see in Jesus Christ because I've been illuminated by the Holy Spirit to understand who Christ is and what He's accomplished that it changes my life in such a way that I then impact those around me without saying a word. Just the way that I live my life becomes salt and light to others around me. So others see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. First Peter chapter 2. 
First Peter chapter two and verse 12. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So they see your good works, but who gets the glory? God gets the glory. It's not about, well, I'm going to be different so that I stick out so that everybody thinks I'm a good person. We kind of get sidetracked on that too a little bit, don't we? It's like, well, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do this and man, everybody's going to see that and they're going to think I'm a great guy or I'm just a, I'm just a good person. No, the, the reasoning is that God gets the glory. God's, you know, if somebody comes up to you and says, well, what's the difference? What are you going to say? If somebody were to say to you, what's different about your life? What's your answer? I said just a minute ago that if you live according to those things that he said in the Beatitudes, and we said that the reason you do that is because you're a believer and you've been changed by the Spirit, and somebody sees that in your life, and so they're going to come up to you and ask this question. We need to have an answer ready. So what's the answer? If they come up and say, man, I've noticed that even in persecution, you have a joy that just doesn't change. and Or I've noticed that you know, your humbleness, and, and I've noticed that. What's different? Are you going to say, well, I'm just a humble person. That's just, man, that's just, that's just the way I am, man. I'm glad you noticed. It makes me feel really good that you pointed that out. That's not, the, the answer is what? Christ changed my whole life. He changed my whole life. You talking about having an impact? That has an impact. That is being salt and light. And that's what makes this the very heart of evangelism. Now, here comes the complicated one, and I didn't save enough time for this, and I apologize for that. But, okay, number four on the application side. For this to actually work, you must be in the world to have an impact on the world. So we kind of set this up at the beginning. I told you, hey, there's kind of two options here. You completely withdraw from the world or you become like the world. And then I said, you know, really the reality is there's a balance there. Well, this is the balance that I was talking about. So you must be in the world, but not of the world. That's a very complicated concept. And like I told you, you know, spoiler alert from the beginning, I don't have all the answers for that. I do know that that is the truth because that's what Jesus said. John chapter 17, verses 15 through 18. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Just that verse in isolation should be enough for us to understand that the in the world but not of the world concept is what Jesus says is right. He says, I'm not praying that you take them out, but I'm praying that you, as they're in, that you keep them from the evil. That they are not of the, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them or set them apart through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. So that answers the question. Jesus says, I'm sending them into the world. And yet we're not to be of the world. We're to be salt and we're to be light, but we're not to be impacted by the world. We're to have an impact without being impacted in and of of the world in our life. Now, that's very difficult. And like I told you, those decisions, we ought to pray for wisdom about that all the time, especially those in leadership. Pastors of churches, you should pray about where those lines are drawn. 
heads of families, you should really pray about that. And then as individual Christians, all of us should always pray for our lives that, that God gives us wisdom on those matters. But I think the concept is true. So we're not to withdraw completely from the world outside. We're to live in the world, but we're to live in the world in such a way that we have an impact on it and it does not impact us. Once again, I'm going to move on from that, but that's that's a very difficult concept and I'm, I'm aware of that. I do think what Christ has said is true, though. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. Now, the last one is that for us to be able to be in the world and not of the world, that requires an eternal perspective. It requires an eternal perspective, something that is more than the here and now. So if your concern in your life is being popular in this world or being rich in this world or moving up in your career in this world, if that's your greatest concern, it's going to be really difficult to be in the world but not of the world. But if you have an eternal perspective, if you say, I'm just a visitor here, this is not what it's all about. There's an eternity that, I, that I'm going to get to spend with God and there's going to be joy and all tears are going to be wiped away and all that. And that's my perspective. Then the things of this world begin to fade away. The, the perspectives of the world don't seem as important. What people say doesn't seem as important. So we got to have an, to be able to really carry this out. We have to understand that this is not our home. Pleasing God then becomes more important than fitting in. And at that point, then that's really when you can be salt and light. Now, we pick on young people all the time and it's not fair because as adults, I mean, I'm sorry, y'all, it's the same thing. Has anybody, has anybody have a different testimony here that's older than me that all of those things go away when you get older? It's not true at all. It's not true at all. Those things still continue. But for young people, especially, I think it just hits really hard because they get in the world. You know, they're, they're in the, the shelter of the home and then at some point they're going out on their own in the world. And, and that's a, that's a time my wife and I are going through right now. Our daughter, you know, just graduated high school. She's in college. Pretty soon she'll be on her own doing her own thing. Um, it's a scary time, but to be salt and light requires this perspective that this world is not our home. And I think it's just more, I think the older we get, the more we realize it becomes more of a reality. I see that in my parents. I saw that in my grandparents. The, the closer we get to leaving this world, I think the more real it becomes to us that this is not our home. And so the more we can do that at a younger age, the better off we would be. The better off we would be for sure. So then we would be salt and light in the world. So I'm, I'm going to close. I hope those things have been a blessing to you. May God strengthen us all to be salt and light uh, in a fallen world. I think uh, as we've already said, our culture that we're living in here in, in our country, in this state, and in these communities could definitely uh, benefit from us being salt and light in the world around us.